0: You're listening to the Rut Ambush Podcast, and here are your hosts, Chad Cottle and Tommy Engram.
1: Welcome back to the Rut Ambush Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Cottle, along with Tommy Engram. And today we interview Ike Hewlett from Ike's Outdoors. Ike is a lifelong outdoorsman, extremely accomplished deer hunter. You can find his videos on YouTube where he provides some tips and outdoor gear reviews, as well as his website, ikesoutdoors.com. And I think this is going to be an interview you guys like. This, this one uh, was one of my favorites for sure. Uh, Ike is, it was a fun interview. He's a, a very easy guy to talk to. And what I like most about it is I, I can really relate to, to Ike. It feels like I can relate to him anyways. And uh, I think you guys, I think you guys will feel the same way. So I hope you enjoy the interview.
0: Hey, you're on with Tommy and Chad from Red Ambush. How you doing, man?
2: I'm doing good. How are you guys?
0: Good, man. I'm so we're so glad to have you on. Um I uh well, I was just telling Chad. So um when we're we're relatively newer hunters uh, we're actually relatively new to like actually knowing what we're doing. So um, okay. we have <laughs>
1: hunted all our lives, but yeah, just
0: we sucked for a long time. Right. So <laughs> there's
2: a point when you get you start getting real serious about it. Yeah, yeah.
0: sure. Yeah. And then once we started getting once I started getting like super serious I started um doing like a bunch of research like with podcasts and on YouTube and um reading a bunch of magazines and books and I was telling Chad the reason why I wanted to have you on it was so important for me is you're like one of those people that I kept going back to whether it be when you know when I was a new turkey hunter when I was a new deer hunter when I was starting getting new Um, when I was, um, start hunting the rut effectively, I was using a lot of the tactics that you were talking about on Ike's Outdoors. And, um, I actually even bought a couple bows based on a couple of your bow reviews. I mean, I remember one specifically, probably the best bow I ever had was, uh, I don't, I don't have it anymore, but it was that, uh, the, uh, BTX when I remember you did the review on that and I was like, I'm gonna give that thing a try. And that was, that was a good bow. So, um. Thank you, man, for coming coming on with us, man.
2: Well, I appreciate it. appreciate you guys having and I appreciate you guys watching the videos. Uh, you know, that's, that's the reason I do the videos and the reason I've been doing it for so long. When I started doing Ike's Outdoors, the goal was to help new hunters and help guys that, you know, I was lucky when I was growing up to be surrounded by hunters, and a lot of my friends and stuff like that, they weren't. So that was really the goal with Ike's Outdoors was – just to kind of spread my passion for hunting and to help people that don't have, you know, mentors in their life to be able to get out in the woods and be able to to be successful doing it.
0: Yep. When when did you get in the hunting? Where, 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 how old were you when you first started?
2: I was about eleven when I started shooting a bow, and the first year that my dad actually took me out and let me hunt, I was twelve.
0: So so where you, you start out with whitetail deer?
2: Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much what we've hunted around here all of our lives as far as archery goes um we have done a little bit of of rabbit hunting with traditional gear and stuff like that but for the most part it's it's coyote or uh, i'm sorry it's uh white tails and occasionally we'll shoot coyotes kind of one of those things anytime i see a coyote out in the woods it turns into a coyote hunt Yep, so.
0: you just mentioned something that we're gonna start so when i when i killed my deer this year i had to leave him overnight because i wasn't 100 sure about the shot and once I got, got on them the next morning, um, the coyotes had, had got one of my, my hind quarters. So uh, the coyote hunting is about to be growing on my list of priorities to take care of business this year.
2: Yeah, I, I think coyote hunting is, a, is an important aspect of anyone who's trying to manage a deer herd, a turkey herd, or anyone who's an outdoorsman and wants a healthy animal herd, you, you've got to coyote hunt. I mean, it's just, it just you've got to. Do you do any and, trapping? You know, I did when I was a kid. Um, A buddy of mine, Tyson McKibben, him and his family were really, really into trapping. And he still does a lot of it. But um, I'd love to get back into it. I just don't have the time.
1: Is it pretty effective, though? It
2: is. It is pretty effective. We caught and eliminated a lot of coyotes. Um, My brother is... uh, We've all been kind of in the ranch business our whole lives. And uh, my brother managed a ranch in uh Oklahoma that had was just overrun with coyotes and we trapped it and we of course we called and stuff like that but we also anytime we saw a coyote out there while we were bow hunting we um, we we shot them then too and we we had we had coyotes so bad on this place I was in a tree stand watching an open uh hay meadow and we'd moved cows the day before and we'd missed a calf so when we miss a calf, he just kick the cow back out. She'll go find the calf. She'll take care of it, come back the next day, grab the cow, and the calf will come with her. Well, the next day, we were I was out there over that meadow, and I was hunting, and a group of coyotes were trying to, trying to get that calf, and the cow was out there fending them off. So I called my brother, and we got down, and immediately went out there and started, I started trying to scare him away and was shooting arrows, you know, trying to, to hit these coyotes out there 50 yards away from me and trying my best to, to get them off of that cow and calf. But uh, after seeing that, we we are hardcore coyote hunters. Mm-hmm.
0: You might have just talked me into getting out there. And get, I, I the only, problem I, only reason why I don't do it is I really don't know what to do. I, I've called them in uh, during turkey season, but I don't really know how to – they're pretty smart.
2: Yeah, if you can shoot a I – mean, and that's one of the things that will help grow your – your skill set as a hunter is being able to kill a predator animal, a coyote, uh, a bobcat, things like that. Man, they're tough to, to to kill, even with a rifle. And you start adding a bow to it, man, it's a whole another element. Yeah. But it, it's, uh, you know, calling them in. YouTube's a great resource, and there's a lot of, of information out there about calling them in. And we used just the AR-15, two-two-three, you know, something like that. And even at one point, we were shooting them and tanning out the hides. And we were just brain tanning them, just using uh, slurry made up of actual, the brain from the coyote. Mm-hmm. And using that to tan them out. And we, the, the market for them, you can sell them, but the market for them is not really that good. So we were making we made a quiver out of one buddy of mine made some leggings out of one and that's cool. You know, pack them up on the wall and give them away to people and stuff like that. Mm -hmm.
0: Hey, Hey, Ike, did, did you have any hunting mentors that shaped the way you hunt now?
2: Oh yeah. I was extremely lucky when I was a young man to be surrounded by guys that hunted. Um, My dad was, and he's kind of one of the inspirations behind Ike's Outdoors, because my dad didn't start hunting until I got interested in it, and so we kind of started hunting about the same time, and kind of started learning together, and my dad passed away when I was 19, and when he passed away, we were tied as far as the number of, of deer that we'd killed, so he wasn't a big teacher or big mentor in in, you know, he was learning as I was learning but he got me out there and he got me in it and had a willingness to you know to to take me and be involved in it so that was a big a big part of my early hunting career and then my one of his friends uh, a guy named Curtis McKibben my best friend's dad that guy taught me and he 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 has forgot more about hunting than most people know uh he is one of those guys he taught me how to trap, he taught me how to call coyotes, he taught me how to shoot a recurve, he taught me how to, taught me how to shoot a compound, you know, he taught me how to track a wounded animal and shot placement and just I mean that guy taught me so much about deer hunting. I will always be grateful to him uh for teaching me, and he is one of the reasons that that I'm a successful deer hunter. I mean, just absolutely without him, I don't know where I would be as far as a deer hunting goes.
0: With with that being said, <clears throat> if you were given advice to someone brand new into deer hunting um what tactics do you use around uh, let's say like using trail cameras uh hunting food sources hunting the rut hunting the late season um scouting scouting all that stuff what 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 tactic or what, what advice would you give someone brand new in the in the hunting whitetail deer
2: well the biggest thing is you know when you when you start out a lot of people get discouraged because they make mistakes just like anything you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to to grow from those mistakes so don't let that discourage you but the other thing like you guys said scouting we live in the woods I mean we're as, as a group we're successful deer hunters I mean and we live in the woods we you know, our season ended January 15th, and we've been to the woods several times since then, putting out trail cameras, putting out feeders. We we feed and, and put minerals out in the off season here to, to help our deer get through this hard time of the year. So we're out there in the woods, you know, in January, February, March. When it starts getting really hot, we start kind of slacking off and, and not spending as much time out there. But we spend a lot of time out in the woods and just knowing what we've got out there using those trail cameras to our advantage that's a huge advantage to the hunter today is the trail camera you know using those trail cameras to our advantage and learning the pattern of the deer and when it comes to the pattern of the deer the guy that i was talking about earlier curtis McKibben, he taught me this and this is one of the most effective ways to go out and kill a deer you got to know where they live and you got to know where they eat they're going to go from where they live to where they eat they're going to go from where they eat to where they live Yep. So if you know where they live and you know where they eat, you set up in between and you're going to see that deer and potentially you're going to get a chance to kill it. So we really strive to find bedding areas and find food sources and then find that travel route to and from. And again, Trail Cameras comes into into play here in and putting those out tells us what deer are coming by when they're coming by you know what direction they're coming from and where they're going how long they're staying there are they coming back this direction No, they're going somewhere else you know so so those are the things that I think really determine that I use every year and I still use today and will continue to use and be successful with I think is knowing those things using the trail cameras and spending a lot of time out in the woods
0: Now, when you're, when you're setting up your ambush location, like you're saying in the, in like a transition in between bedding and food, um, what do you, do you take into consideration like wind direction? Or if, if not, do you, um, do you pay attention to scent control or do you do any of that stuff?
2: Well, the wind direction is the biggest thing that we take into account. I mean, we set up of course, you got to have that the right tree or that right location for your ground blind, but we try to determine, you know, okay, here's here's where the deer is going through. Here's our spot where we want to ambush them. How can we set up here to get the, the wind in our best favor? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you've got to set up to where, you know, you just, the wind is only going to be in your favor a few days out of the season. But that's the important thing is you set up to where, you know, I can only hunt this tree stand with a west wind or with a north wind or whatever. Yep. Um. So we set those up and we only hunt them on those situations. Another thing that we really do a lot of is we set up specifically for the weather, weather patterns that we try to have during that year. Like our stands that we set up that are in locations that are usually really good for the rut, we try to set up those so we can hunt them with a north wind because normally our rut kicks in the first couple of weeks of november and you're really starting to get into that pattern where it's changing from fall to colder weather mm-hmm. and we were around here we get a lot of north winds at that time of the year so our setups for the time of the rut we try to set up where it's in favor for us to have a north wind uh, as far as scent control goes man, i've tried a ton of different stuff and i've tried the scent lock suits and the the spray and just spray everything down and, and things like that, and I, I've never found anything to me that that just will beat a deer's nose. Yeah, you know, there's precautions you can take and there's times that that it can help, and I think everything that you can do will help. But I don't think that there's any silver bullet out there that's just going to beat a deer's nose every time. My scent preparation is, I I wash my clothes in scent-free and I dry, I hang them to dry and I take a shower in the scent-free soap and I do use a a basic cover scent and that's about it. That's about all I do. You
1: know, it's interesting, Ike, because we've had people um, that we've interviewed and, you know, they say we've had people and kind of us as well because just because of our setups in particular is that we can't play the wind and, you know, so some of the people we've interviewed said they don't pay attention to the wind and it's completely scent control. And if, if done right, then, then you can do that. But it, it's nice to have, you know, for our listeners, different opinions on that so they can kind of take what works for them. Like I said, we really have to pay attention to scent control, you know, washing our clothes, taking the shower, using everything we can, carbon, this, that, and the other. You know, for our particular properties. And, and another,
0: another quick thing that uh, one thing that I've noticed is I've noticed that um, hunters that hunt in hill country are they they find it a lot harder to um, To use just wind direction because of thermals going down hills mm. and up up yep. hills and stuff like that, so it is good to have that swirling you know, different. Winds. Yeah, swirling wind. It's good to have that perspective of someone that does because we know a lot of people that are super successful using the wind to their favor to set up their ambush location like you and you know it's good to have those those varying opinions of how they get it done as opposed to others it's nice
2: yeah and i agree with what you guys are saying um the advantage that i have now is we have several different properties leased and they're all trees there's very little open ground on it so we've got a plethora of trees to choose from to put our stands in and you know opportunities to hunt that stand when it's in our prime conditions. Yep. A couple of years ago, I hunted a place that it was 120 acres, I believe of cornfield with a tree, a fence line around it. Mm-hmm. And we had just moved to Missouri and I'd had no place to hunt, but land. land. a guy said, yeah, you can hunt my cornfield. But like you guys said, there was only one way to, to hunt that. And I had that year, I had to absolutely Manage my scent control down to the point of wearing the base layers and wearing slippers, you know, while I was in the truck and getting there, and and changing in my hunting clothes in the field and not contaminating them in any way. And so I've been in situations like you guys are saying, and it, at, at, when you're in a situation like that, I don't think you can do enough. Oh, I mean, man. I'm in a situation where I don't have to do a lot, but I agree completely that there's some situations where scent control can make or break your hunt
0: absolutely yeah
1: and i guess just you know for our listeners you know if their particular property i mean you can still get it done basically is no matter what you can still get it done whether you have the wind in your favor or whether you have to use strictly just scent control um it, there's all kinds of ways to get it done
0: exactly hey yeah. i something you mentioned that perked my ears up you you mentioned uh ground blind how how often are you in the ground blind how often do you use we it? we hunt ground blinds
2: <laughs> We uh, we are pretty lucky here. Like I said, we don't have to uh, worry too much about trees. We hunted, I actually only own three ground blinds, and we hunt them on a property that we got a, a big hay meadow on. And the only reason I even bought those ground blinds is because my son Jacob hunts, his heart started mm-hmm. hunting with us. And he's 11 now. And when he actually started hunting with us, well, he's been going with me since he was probably about four, but when he actually started hunting a few years ago, I didn't want to get him off the ground. Sure. And of course his mom didn't want me to get him off the ground either. So um, we hunted a lot. Then we set up ground blinds and hunted a lot then with him. And it was a lot of fun. Cause that was, you know, he actually killed his first deer out of a ground blind. And I went out and actually killed my, the first deer I ever killed out of a ground blind was that it was a few, just a few years ago because we're lucky enough. We don't have to, use ground blinds but Mm -hmm. i I do see a great advantage to them in a lot of situations and especially for you know now jacob's hunting uh, out of tree stands but he uh, we still got the ground blinds and we still use them a lot and they're still we still find them very useful
0: when you're using a ground blind do you use do you do anything like uh brushing them in or put them in a certain location like uh you know in in brush or do you do you have any tactics that you use that makes makes you more effective effective in them?
2: I do try to use, try to brush them in as much as possible, and I try to buy the ground blinds with either some brush loops on them, mm-hmm. so I can cut brush yep. and put on them. Or I, I've even gone so far as to poke holes in the ground blind and put you know uh, bungee cords in there and stuff like that. I because the deer around here you know, they're, they're pretty spooky about new things in mm-hmm. their area. So if you're going to go out and just set it up and hunt out of it, you got to really get them acclimated to it. So we try to make it look as natural as possible. Yep. Uh, one of our ground blinds we've got on a hay meadow and it's a rifle hunting only. And we don't, we don't, have actually probably hunted it twice, but you can't hardly see it till you get right up on it. Mm-hmm. And we positioned it between two big pine trees and then cut some limbs and actually just put all around it to where the only thing visible is the opening. Now the disadvantage is that you can only shoot one direction, Yep. but we got the neighbor's property to our backside. we got a big hay meadow in front of us. So it works out pretty good in that situation. But I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of brushing those ground blinds in and trying to get them as natural looking as you possibly can.
0: Great advice, man. Yeah.
1: We, uh, <clears throat> Tommy and I brushed our ground blinds in, in the same way this year. I, uh, Cause we have them probably about 20 yards off of a tree line and we put two hay bales beside of them. And i got the brush loops in mine or the, the, you know, I'm talking about the daisy chains to, to brush it in. So, you know, I was able to put hay in there, but he didn't have them. He had an older ground blind. He didn't have them. So one thing we did is we drove T post on all four corners of that ground blind and took a green snow fence and wrapped around it
0: like construction fencing right that's a good
1: idea and then we just stuffed the hay in there and i tell you what a person wouldn't know walking i mean you'd have to be right up on it before you realize it wasn't a hay bale and i mean it was that thing was deadly man it was sweet for sure. yeah I,
2: and i've seen those hay bale blinds i've seen guys use them in the past and even i've seen some guys even stack hay bales up and make a natural blind mm-hmm. and those just seem to work really really oh, well. yeah yeah yep that,
1: that's a good idea
0: all right ike this is the that's big, a good idea i like that this is a big one man we're, we're we're coming up on the spring i know you're a turkey hunter i'm a imagine i'm a brand new wet behind the ears turkey hunter tell me tell me what what i need to do
2: well my advice for for guys in that situation kind of depends on if they've deer hunted because my advice for guys like that is to hunt them like deer I do the same thing for what I actually still hunt them like this. I don't call that much and I don't use decoys that much. I will go out. I will try to roost them, figure out where they are, figure out a pattern, use my trail cameras and I'll set up an ambush spot sometimes out of a tree stand, sometimes out of a ground blind or sometimes just off the ground. But I'll generally just try to set up and be where they are and ambush them. And I have had situations where I've had to call and, and do things like that but i really really try to avoid uh, avoid calling and and using decoys if i can i prefer to just ambush them and 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 kill them that way well,
0: <clears throat> i do much of this the same the same as as you i, I i'm big on decoys but I found that my calling hurts me. Has has yeah. the, my call? My calling hurts me more than it's helped me over the years. So
2: I, I agree. I'm the same way. I've tried every, and I've got a couple paddle the box halls with the paddle on them that I use, and they seem to be okay. But I've tried everything, and and I'll get to where here at the house or in the backyard, I'll sound man, I'll, I'll sound like. Uh, just the prettiest turkey out there. Mm-hmm. And when I get out to the woods, I sound like the, the turkey that no one at the bar will pick up.
0: <laughs> you, you know what? This is funny. I have called in more coyotes with my turkey calls than I've called in male birds. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> now with that being said, I'm, I'm a pretty successful turkey hunter mainly because of the, a lot of the information that you get, you gave on, some, on, on one of your videos. But, um, but when I start, when I start calling to like a hen, I have called in hens before that drug some male birds in, and I, I feel like I'm more successful calling uh, like a, that that boss hen in yeah. better than than calling a male bird in. So I agree. No, that, that, and, go okay. ahead. I'm Sorry.
2: That reminds me of, of what of uh, advice a guy gave me a few years ago. He made me some calls, and that's what he told me. He said, "Take this call out." And if you hear a hen calling, he said, do everything that she's doing.
0: Yep, mock and he her. He said
2: that'll make her mad, yep. and she'll come in. And he said she'll bring a tom in with her. I've killed. And I've only had that situation a few times, but every time I've had it, it has been deadly. It
0: all, it's it's all it has. If I can if I can mock uh, what I consider to be when I hear a boss hen and I piss her off, I have called her in every single time that's happened, and every time she's brought a big bird in that I've shot and killed.
2: Yeah, I've had a similar experience. Every time I've been able to get a hen talking, I've been able to kill a dog.
0: Yep. Um, also, um, oh, I, was, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, so, do you use a shotgun primarily?
2: I, I have. I've used both. I, I, of course, use a shotgun primarily to start out with. And then when I started kind of having some success, I swapped over to a bow and killed a few with a bow. And then when we moved here to Missouri, we didn't really have any place to turkey hunt. So I was, was, didn't have a lot of success and just wasn't, I went probably four or five years and didn't kill a bird. So here recently I've been going back to uh, shotgun. We finally got a place that's, that's got some turkeys on it. So I've been going back there shotgun, trying to get a few more under my belt before I go back to a bow again.
0: Are you, are you going to hunt turkeys this spring?
2: You know, I don't know. Um, We leased a place that has some turkeys on it, and um, we've been leaving it alone and letting the population grow, because it literally started out with five birds on it, and now we're up to 25, 30. So, we've been leaving it alone, but I've really gotten into bass fishing in the past few, just last year. My son, kind of like I did with my dad, getting him into, into bow hunting, my son Wanted to learn how to fish, and I'm not a fisherman, and never have been, so I had to start learning how to fish, and last year we took a little trip, and we caught some bass, and man, I just caught the fever, and me and him have been we bash fished every chance we got last summer and had a lot of success and just have been looking forward to getting back out and doing some bash fishing. So.
0: You know what you, well, I saw your, uh, I saw your video on kind of losing your motivation for, for hunting and you, and you, you told us we're, we're going to actually, the conversation you had with us, um, about losing your motivation and starting to fish, we're actually going to cut that into this interview because we we recorded that. And um, y- you guys, you are the exact opposite of Chad and I in the sense where we started out bass fishing in farm ponds growing up. Like our whole, my whole youth was that's what my dad did. We he took us to a farm pond and we just would knock knock those largemouth dead. And then probably in my late 30s, it started not. I started losing my motivation for it and that's when I started yep. like getting into hunting same with Chad that's mm-hmm. you know, for you know Chad's, Chad and I've known each other a long time that's we never hunted ever we all that's all we did was hit up hit a large uh, farm pond and we bass fished together
1: uh, yeah well I let me let me tell you the farm pond just real quick it's off topic but the farm pond that I used to fish and I took Tommy to this place if you were there for eight hours if you just made a day of it you would catch upwards to 100 bass and i remember my taking my buddy down there and he it's a small farm pond and he casted across the pond and he went over a tree on the other side um you know took his lure over over a branch and he said watch this and he lowered it down to the water and it hit right as soon as it hit the water right on the bank's edge, a giant bass hit it, and he pulled it up over that limb and pulled it in. It's just – that's the kind of fishing that we're talking about. And it was like, without a doubt, come evening time, you were going to pull in a five-pounder. So, we got we, you know, we got spoiled with that and anyways, mm, but yeah. I digress. So. You, yeah, uh, that, that sounds like the kind of place
2: I want to go pick. Uh, <laughs> you could
1: throw a cigarette butt out on a hook and they'd hit it, man, because nobody fishes it. You know, it was cheap. Yeah. I've only,
0: I've only fished that pond one time. It was probably over a decade
1: ago, wasn't it? No, it was a while ago, yeah. It was a
0: long time ago, and I, man, I that was like, it was like bass fishing heaven, man. It made you feel like you knew what the heck you were doing. Oh, yeah,
1: and the cool part about it is you, they love buzz baits, and buzz baits are fun because Number one, you don't have to feel the bite, and then you get the action of them coming out of the water and hitting it, and you just all day yeah. long, all day long. And it didn't yeah. matter. I you... love that top water. I oh, think. man, it was a blast. It was a blast. All right, guys, uh, you you know, talk- that's
2: kind of what got me motivated into fishing was we went to a place to, to take my son that had a, a stock pond, and we had so much success there. I was like, man, I got to get into this a little more.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's a blast when you when you get to a place where you can just tear into them like that. I mean, you just you don't want to go home. Yeah, yeah man we awesome,
0: we man. need to we need to get back out there in spring maybe do yeah, a couple we'll a couple on. days. Yeah, and we we'll go get out, out
1: there. there. Yeah. Absolutely, you have our, to come out with us, Ike.
2: Where you guys even? I don't even know where you guys even are.
0: Columbus, Ohio.
1: Yep.
2: Columbus, Ohio. Oh, I've been there.
1: And for our listeners, where where are you located exactly?
2: I'm in Carthage, Missouri.
1: Okay. Missouri's not that far.
2: It's it. about a ten hour drive to come up and do some fishing. Yeah. Dang.
1: I got a guest room here, but <laughs> <laughs> you'd have a blast. All right.
0: Ike, I got I got some questions about your gear, man. Like um, okay. when you when you're choosing your equipment, whether it be your bow, your arrows, your broadheads, um, what are you looking for? What type of um, technology are you looking at? And uh, how and how are you getting that equipment ready for the season?
2: You know, as far as picking out the the equipment that I use, I've always been pretty lucky. I'm, I'm well, my, the job that I do now, I work in product development for a fortune 500 company and build prototypes. And right now I'm a drafter, but we build prototypes and stuff like that. So I've always been pretty technical. Um, and, been you know, want to know how things work and things like that. So that's kind of the, the way that I approach picking out my hunting gear is um, I want to know what the technology is. i picking out a bow, I, I want to know what that technology is. And I want to compare it to other bows that are on the market and figure out what the disadvantages and the advantages of it are. And I'll do a lot of my research on, you know, the internet and looking and things like that, but you really can't beat that hands on mm going and getting a bow in your hands uh, kind of thing. So back before I started doing the YouTube stuff, which this is why I kind of led it into the YouTube thing, but I would literally travel hundreds of miles to pick out a bow. Uh, You know, we had a few shops here that had a few different bows, and I would try them, and I would go. I'm lucky that I'm I'm close to the headquarters of Bass Pro. Bass Pro's natural headquarters is about an hour from here. So i go to Bass Pro, and i shoot their bows, and we go to all these different spots and shoot all these different bows, and I may settle on the bow that was right here in town. Or after, you know, two months of driving around all these different shops, I may go back to the one that was the farthest away and pick out a bow. Um, so that's, you know, as far as picking out a bow, that's – you can't beat getting that bow in your hand yep. And, yep. and shooting that bow. And, you know, I owned a shop – um, several years ago under shop and always willing to let a guy come in and i'll set that bow up for you you know i'm not going to put a lot of i'll set that bow up for you as best i can and let you shoot that bow and any shop that i'd walked into that wouldn't let me shoot a bow I, i'm walking out and i'm going yep, somewhere else absolutely but that was my thing was i when it come to a bow i would literally shoot 50 before i bought one and i would go back several times and shoot the same bow several times and, and before I made that final decision you know, narrowing it down so that was my, my decision how I made my decision when it comes to bows was just get my hands on them shoot them you know of course you can't do that with a lot of other stuff um, you know quivers and stabilizers and sights you can slap on there in the shop generally and try them out and kind of get an idea of the noise and vibration behind them and how you like that sight picture of that sight mm. and how that rest works and things like that arrows and broadheads I was always one of those guys that when it came to arrows, I remember when gold tip first came out, the gold tip Hunter, I'm going to show my age here. Cause this is when the gold tip Hunter, I remember when it first came out, first hit the market. Uh, this guy was going around all these shops around here and shooting them into cinder blocks yeah. and things like that. And so I, of course I wanted to watch that. And then he'd take them from the cinder block and he would, Stand them up on the side. And he'd put his foot on them and sh- and bend them till they broke, which a lot of times they wouldn't break. They'd bend pretty far. So, I started doing that kind of stuff myself at home. You know, I'd go buy, I'd go to a shop and I'd buy a pack of broadheads and a pack of uh, you know one arrow, one Eastern arrow, one gold tip arrow, one of these arrows, and get them all set up and all tuned and do the same thing, and I'd shoot. Bricks with them, and I would flex them until they broke and shoot broadheads into pieces of leather and foam and things like that to see what kind of wound channel they were they were producing and things like that. So, I'm when it comes to picking my gear, I'm really, really technical and I am almost overly anal about it, I guess, because I've had it happen to me. Anything that can go wrong, Murphy's Law is oh, going to yeah. bite you. But I, man, when it don't... comes.
0: Don't get me started, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, gonna happen when you uh, got a big
2: buck underneath you, and I am. It, it, it doesn't matter to me whether it's a big buck or a doe, or or what it is. But I do not want that, you know, rear in its head that yep. that equipment failure when I when I uh, have a deer underneath. You don't want that to be me, the
0: reason why you lost the animal. Exactly, you know and me? that's what
2: I was just getting ready to say. To me, the broadhead was the most important, the most critical thing, other than being a good shot and having being, having good shot plates. So, but I, especially when mechanicals first came out, first started getting really popular, I wouldn't use a mechanical until I tested it, tested it, tested it, tested it. Because I did not, and it didn't matter whether it was a doe or a big bug, I did not want to shoot that deer and lose it or shoot that deer and have it you know, suffer before yep. I want a quick humane kill yep. as much as I possibly can. So that's one of the reasons why I test gear. So well. that's one of the reasons why it kind of, kind of what I did on an everyday basis kind of lended itself to doing the YouTube videos that I do.
0: Hey, Ike, um, we're not sponsored by anyone. As a matter of fact, Chad and I, we both shoot different bows currently. And, um, and if you don't want to answer this, I understand, but would you mind, telling us what you're what you have what you're using right now everything um, well bow sight arrows quiver broadhead strings everything
2: i am last year it varies from year to year on the bow because it really does depend on i'm lucky enough through ike's outdoors and through some some friendships that i have with some shops is i actually can will get to test out and get to several bows every year, so my bow will vary from year to year. Um, there's a lot of things that don't vary from year to year, but my bow will pretty much vary from year to year. Last year, I shot the new Prime, and I can't even remember which one it was. Uh, the one that I reviewed that had the green riser on it, Man, I just loved that bow, and I just shot it great, but the year before that, I shot a Bowtech, and the year before that, I shot an Obsession, so my bow is really What like just still the same thing? I'm still out there shooting as many bows as I can and picking the one that fits me the best. As far as my arrows go and uh, and my broadheads, real quick, real quick, I I,
0: real quick, I before before we go further, if I could put you on the spot, what's the best bow you ever shot? The first one that pops into your mind,
2: Destroyer 350. Who who makes that? Bowtech. Bowtech.
0: Okay. What you that's been that's been out that's been a minute since that
2: yeah it's been a while
0: (laughs) do you still have it
2: no i don't okay all right i do still have my btx though that
0: that that thing's a that thing's a good bow
2: (laughs) yeah and i still like it but just hands down first one popped in my head was the shorter 350 i really like those and
1: and i want to make a point to our listeners that you really can't go wrong they're They're, all good man. they're all good but yeah but it's it's depends on the individual i mean you know, this That's person exactly might like a Hoyt. This person might like a a Matthews. This person might like a Bear, a Bowtech, whatever. Doesn't? I mean, they're all great bows. They just yeah. And I've know. had
2: some criticism from some viewers on YouTube about my bow reviews, saying a, lot, a few guys have said we never say anything bad about these bows. Which I don't ever say anything. I mean, I will say, hey, here's what I like and here's what I don't like about it. And unless I have a catastrophic failure, I mm-hmm. don't normally say bad things about it. And the reason for that is. Most of the companies that work with me and most of the companies that I, or most of the bows that I go out and buy are flagship model bows. Mm -hmm. Now, last year we got into some of the lower end. We did a couple of um, mid-grade bows in the $500 range. We're going to continue to do that, but it's really hard. I mean, really, really hard to find a flagship bow that's not a fantastic bow these days.
1: Yeah, I agree. And you talked about mid-range bows. I mean just for people just getting into hunting, I mean, they're going to real, kill the deer.
0: Yeah. Them are, them are yeah, real good yeah. too.
2: Yeah. yeah. I, that's what I was just curious. The Quest Thrive that I reviewed last year, I absolutely loved that bow. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it was a, I think it's a 500 $600 bow. Yeah. Fantastic bow. Just but a lot of times it, it
1: comes down to, you know, does the grip fit you right? Do you like the dwell zone? You know, so do you like axle a, to axle, axle to axle, hard back exactly, walls? Yeah. What, it, you know, it just individual preference doesn't yeah. mean it's a bad yeah. bow or, you know,
2: so and that's the thing. It's taken me 25 years of, of shooting bow or longer to, to figure out. I can almost now pick a bow out by its specs. Yeah. You know, I just ordered an obsession bow and I, they, they told me they're like, pick out whichever one you want and we'll customize it and, and everything. And we'll get it sent to you. And They had the Lawless, and they had the FLX, and they had this other bow that was a 30-inch axle-to-axle super fast bow, and I ended up going with the FLX because the specs were what I wanted. Yeah. It had a 34-inch axle-to-axle and a 6.5-inch brake height. and for me, that's my comfort that's zone. Where that's
1: you're at. you like a longer bow, That's the bow, kind of bow
2: that I like, yeah. yeah. Got gotcha. you. You got to think, too. I grew up, my first bow, uh, first compound bow was a whitetail, too. That's so a long time 46 ago. Forty <laughs> six inches, Axle, axle.
0: Oh
1: man. <laughs> you ain't getting a ground blind with that, are you? <laughs> oh no, no, for
2: sure.
0: <laughs> so I'm sorry I interrupted you. You were go- you're going into your arrows.
2: Um, on the arrows and broadheads, um, like I said, the bow differs from from year to year. Quivers don't make a whole lot of difference to me, because I take them off. So quivers don't make a whole lot of difference to me. Stabilizers, I have a whole drawer full of stabilizers from from bee stingers to limb savers to just everything you can imagine. And I will pick the limb saver or the, 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 the I'm staring at a bow with a limb saver stabilizer on it. I will pick the stabilizer and match it to the bow. Okay. I I will take that bow and put 15 different stabilizers on it and shoot it for a week with each one until I figure out which one that I want, which one balances with that. So I really don't have no loyalty when it comes to those, but my arrows, my broadheads. Uh, my strings and my sights never changed. They haven't changed for five years i used a trophy ridge react 5 sight mm-hmm. i've been using it since it came out Please. and again i'm not i'm like you guys i'm not sponsored by any of these people so um i love that sight i love the way the pins are arranged and the way that it sights in mm-hmm. makes me more accurate at longer yardage yep. so I've, I've really stuck with that since i've since it came out um the arrows that i shoot i may end up changing those here this year i i started using them a few years ago because a friend of mine owned the company uh bart lawhorn owned the company and uh he got me a few of them and you guys have probably seen the video they're deer crossing arrows yeah. Man, I just abused those things and just absolutely – had them on my lawnmower at one point point. was jumping up and down on them and them getting a brain <laughs> and just abused them. And I went to their SD shafts, which are the smaller ones, and I've noticed with those, even at my lower poundage, I only shoot about 62 pounds. Even oh, the big-body deer that I'm shooting, I'm blowing right through. Really? So I, I'm, I'm really happy with those arrows, and I've been really uh, – had a lot of success shooting those over the past – four or five years. Bart sold the company, so I may end up uh, swapping to something else. I'm getting down to where I only got a dozen of them or so, so I may end up swapping to something else, but before I do, I'll do a lot of testing on them, and I'll order another dozen to see if they're still the same quality, and if they are, I may end up sticking with those. Um, My broadheads that I use, I've been using the G5 uh, broadheads for a couple years and had a lot of good luck with them and really liked those. I've used the, the fixed blade and the expandables, And I like them because out of the box, those are some of the sharpest, just most wickedly sharp broadheads you will ever find. Mm -hmm. And we've had, again, through extensive testing, those are the ones I chose a few years ago, and I've had nothing but good luck with them. I have yet to have a failure with their expandable broadheads, so it's really, I've tried some other ones. I've tried, uh, different brands and I've even shot some deer with some different brands, but I kind of keep going back to that G5. Cause that's that safety. You know, that's that one that I know yep. works, you know, I've had success with it. And I keep going back to that. Um, as far as the strings go, the strings that I use, I, I got a guy that makes them for me is, is a company called JBK and I like him. His strings are are fantastic strings, but I like him because of the detail that he puts into them. And when I call him, you know, like America's Best and all these other uh, companies out there make fantastic strings. And a lot of these big-name companies, Winner's Choice and stuff like that, I don't think you can go wrong with it. Yep. All but right. with JBK, I can actually call. I'm talking to the owner and actually my buddies too, not just me. My buddy, you know, when you call him, he you talk to him, you put your order in with him. And he'll, he'll tell you straight up front, you know, hey, this is like X amount of time. He hand stretches all the strings, hand makes all of them. And that just that level of of care into the strings really reflects in the quality, because when I get them. I can actually put them on the bow. I can go shoot them in my peach sight and and things like that will not move. Them. Oh man, There's no creep in them.
0: Can I tell you a quick story about that? Yeah, go ahead. So I got a new. – I'm Trying to remember what bow I was. I was. Uh, it was, I was. I'm not going to say what it was, but I got a new bow with brand new the brand new factory strings on it.
2: Oh, factory strings are sometimes terrible. Yeah, <laughs> and I
0: and I went out like a week after I got the bow turkey hunting, and I was I'm in this blind and I had it was the opening day. And had my decoys out and I had a big Tom come in and I'm like, oh man, this, he read, he read the script, man. I draw my bow back and my, my peep wouldn't twist all the way. I, 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 it wouldn't open up because the strings had stretched and I literally could barely see that turkey in, in my, in my peep just because I hadn't uh, broke the strings in. And I, I mean, I was like, I, I got it. I got to go for it. I, and I shot, I shot and killed that Turkey, but man, I, I should have like broke those strings in before I went out hunting. And, and when you have a, uh, somebody that makes your strings that are going to, are they're already going to be stretched and you don't have to worry about that afterward. That's, that's a big deal.
2: Yeah. And I've never, I've had some bows, you know, I shoot my bows. Uh, I've had some, I've literally been in that situation like you where. I had a bow a few years ago that I sent out for uh, to have it customized, have it powdered, uh, powder coated, and have it dipped, and was supposed to be back to me well in time for season, but didn't. It literally got to me the night before season opened. Oh
1: man! So
2: on a Friday night at you know six o'clock, I was out here putting the bow back together, and I mean from it was in pieces. Oh man! And I had to put the bow back together and tried to sight it in in the dark and everything like that and had street lights on and my <laughs> the headlights of my truck on me and we got it sighted in and that was i'd probably been shooting jbk's for about two years then that was one of the reasons that when i'm like that's one of the moments i decided i will never shoot anything but jbk strings when i'm building the bow because that night the peep sight never moved the strings never stretched yep. i shot it 25 times maybe you know once i got it back together the next morning i went out was sitting in a ground blind and actually when i first first time i killed a deer out of a ground blind too same thing i shot pulled back shot that deer the first deer that came in was a big doe shot her no issues with the strings at all so that was one of those moments of I'm never going to shoot anything but jbks mm-hmm. again. And I'm never using that company that did the film dipping for me. Yep. Did you... you not tell them who
1: you were? You said, <laughs> you know who <laughs> I am?
2: No, I, they, this was, uh, well, it, it was, if you guys, I don't know if I want to say the name of the company. I don't think they're in business anymore, but it was a big deal on Archery Talk a few years ago. They're uh, these guys started this company called Pimp My Bow. I've never heard and, of them. Well, there's a reason. <laughs> they they approached me and said, hey, man, we'd like to do your bow for you. And I was like, all right. You know, they, they did it for me, dirt cheap, and let me customize it and everything. And they this was literally in March when I sent them the bow. Hmm. Well, luckily, I had a backup, but uh, – by the time season opened in september i still didn't have my bow back oh man so and i wasn't the only one that had that trouble oh, with them,
0: yeah and then
2: when i got the bow back i actually had to they had put too much film dip on uh the limbs and i couldn't get the cams back in there you, you so know. i with the proper spaces in there so i had to actually take sandpaper and sand down the film dip back to the old original finish and to be able to put the cam back in there
0: you know, like you make a great point as far as like when I know all my all my equipment and I've used it for years and years and I know when I go out in the field that's one less thing that I don't have to worry about. It gives me that confidence. That you know, cuz there's already enough things that can go wrong. We're dealing with wild animals here. And yeah, when exactly. you yeah, when you know that you're your equipment is dialed in and it's one thing you just don't have to worry about it. It just gives you that much more confidence, makes you a better hunter.
2: Yeah. And that's the thing for me, you know, I don't, uh, when I get an animal in front of me, whether it's a coyote or deer or anything like that, I don't have to sit there and worry. Is my, is my equipment going to work? Is this broadhead going to open? Am I accurate at this yard? Is, you know, I, I have the confidence to literally just let that go out of my mind, focus on where that pin is and, and make a good shot.
0: Yep. Man, we cannot thank you enough for being on the show, man. I I really appreciate. We we've been lucky, man. We've reached out to all these people, all these people that have influenced us. You you, you being one of us, and we we've been lucky. Nobody's told us no. And um, you, I want I want to tell you, man. We we thank you so much for being on. And if you ever want to come back again, you are you are more than welcome to come back. So t- tell us uh, before we take off. Tell us about Ike's Outdoors.
2: Well, Ike's Outdoors started, um, we're on our 10th year now and Ike's Outdoors started actually kind of by accident. We started with, uh, uh, I had a shop at the time and I had a partner in the shop and we were doing videos just for people to, you know, get on the internet and see what we had available. And actually kind of a long story, but my partner actually ended up getting killed. Mm. Um, so the shop kind of went we lasted another six or eight months before we finally gave it up and at that point we would started a good following on youtube and people seemed to be interested in what we we're doing so we just kind of kept doing it and so uh, what i do on there is i do a lot of product reviews bow reviews site you know equipment reviews mm-hmm. but i also try to do a lot of uh informative videos how-to videos you know how to not only hunting but tuning your bow and stuff like that you know um I don't, I don't have any sponsors, you know, I don't let anybody influence my opinion on the quality of the products and I also try not to hold anything back, you know, a couple years ago I did something called Project Ike where I had been shooting competition and my form had just gone to hell and I had target panic so bad and rather than be embarrassed by it, I kind of reached out to my audience and said, hey, here's what my problem is, you guys help me and I started this thing called Project Ike. And through YouTube and through the power of social media, those guys and, and their advice actually fixed me and got rid of my target panic and got rid of, of um, the issues that I was having and made me a better hunter. So I, I try to do, you know, informative videos, but I also will tr- try to reach out to my audience too and, and kind of take advantage of the social media platforms and get advice from them as well. Um, I literally just today before we got on the phone ordered a new longbow. So, I'm going to be tackling some traditional gear. So, probably going to see some videos like Project Ike again with the with the longbow in hand.
0: Cool, man. Can't wait to see it.
1: What was the, uh, real quick, I, I'm curious, just because this is a, a big issue for a lot of people, is target panic. What, I mean, in simplified terms, what did you do to, to get rid of that? The simple The simple explanation for it is I started
2: shooting back tension. Okay, and that's um, what I've heard I've, from
1: multiple sources, yeah.
2: Yeah. My problem was, was trigger discipline. Mm -hmm. Um, I started out shooting pretty good, you know, shooting competitively and and holding my own. And I, it actually, I remember the day it started, we were at Bass Pro shooting an indoor pop-up league and it was during their fall festival. And you can imagine the headquarters, national headquarters, how big it is. Mm -hmm. I remember looking back in the crowd and Will Primos was sitting up there watching a shoot. <laughs>
1: oh, and I blame no, Will Primos. No pressure. <laughs> Sorry, no, no pressure. No yeah. pressure.
2: Will Primos was watching a shoot. He was in between seminars or something. He was leaning against the against <laughs> the the deal there watching a shoot. And I shot terrible. And then it, it just got in my head after yep. that. Mm. And I started just, I would literally just fall apart every time I went to pull the trigger. Wow. And the only thing that really worked for me was shooting back, tension.
1: Yeah. and you'd been shooting for a while at that point, right? I mean, you weren't like yeah, new I'd, at it. I'd
2: probably been shooting, uh, that was in the early 2000s. So hmm. I'd been shooting for 15 years at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah and I mean, then it all was, of a
1: sudden hit you. That was the first time you ever had it, right?
2: Yes, yeah. yeah. And it, man, when it That's hit, crazy. it went from zero to 60 in, in a heartbeat.
0: One of those guys from uh, Major League Bow Hunters, he, I can't remember his name, but he, he had it for almost two seasons of the show and he had, I mean, j- can you imagine being on film in front of oh, yeah. millions of people and he was having these monster deer in front of him and he would just shoot right over him and he, j- and it was just like, yeah, I, I felt sorry for him. It was just yeah, like, and oh. that was
2: my, my moment of, I've got to fix this was I'd been struggling with it for a couple years and hadn't really transferred over into deer hunting side of it. And then I went to Texas and when I went to Texas, I was under pressure because I, I was only down there for like three days and I was there to kill a sick of deer. And I kind of put so much pressure on myself, a, a sick of doe came in, and when I shot her, I was aiming for her chest, and I collapsed. I, I did exactly like I did on the target, and that was the first time it ever happened to me while I was hunting. And I ended up killing the deer, but I ended up was shooting for her chest, for her heart. I shot her in the neck. Oh, um, man. And yeah. at that point, I, luckily, I got a good enough shot on her that she went over and she went about seventy-five yards and she piled up. But at that point, I, when we got home from that trip, I said, "I'm, I'm either going to fix this problem, or I'm going to stop shooting my bow." Yeah. And there was no way I was going to stop shooting my bow. So yeah. at that point, it was fix it, yeah. and, and it it meant starting basically from scratch. Yep.
0: Yeah. Break it down for, to, to the bare basics and st- start building it back up again. Exactly,
2: right? yep.
0: exactly. Yeah. Hey Ike, would you uh, would you be willing to come back on again in the future?
2: Oh, you bet! Anytime, you guys. Want, I'll be happy to come back.
0: Thank you so much, man.
1: We hey, really I, you want to do? You want to get some good bass fishing? in, you get you hit us up. All right. Central
2: Ohio. Definitely, man. definitely will. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. We really appreciate it. All right, brother, I really Have appreciate a good night. You guys have a good night, man. Thank you. Take care, bud. Thank you for tuning in to the Rut Ambush Podcast with Chad Cottle and Tommy Engram.